Okay. Hello. Welcome to Karate Without Belts. I'm John. And I'm Marty from New Zealand, down here in the lovely sun, where we're reaching ooh, something like 80 degrees Fahrenheit today, and not what you guys are getting in the States. Not what we're getting in the States. I'm making the, making the grand assumption that everybody who's listening to this is in America. Uh, but, well, most, most analytics tell me that's true. But, um, which I will probably not be in America by the end of this year. Um, we are pre- prepping for a move, in fact, probably over to Japan. So, but when in, when that's going to happen, will reveal itself in good time. But for those of you listening, uh, kind of have a limited time to maybe send me some hate mail or fan mail. Um, <laughs> as if I put the, put put our PO box out here. Sure. But, um, and of course, uh, the, the bonus of this for me is now I've got somewhere to stay in Japan when I get there finally. <laughs> yeah, well, you've never been, have you? No, no, no. That's a, that's that's a mind blower. But we'll, no, I'm, now dis- we'll, I'm yeah. disturbingly undertraveled. Um, my limits have been to Australia a number of times. I've been up to Papua New Guinea and to America, um, all work related. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I haven't had the chance to travel up into Asia or uh, or into Europe yet. Which, if you listen to our first podcast, I confused I've confused Australia and New Zealand with Asia. So, <laughs> uh, they call it Asia Pacific. It's near enough. Yeah, well, and it's like, is Australia a continent? Everyone will say yes. What about New Zealand? Nope, too small. Tech, yeah, too small to be considered a continent. Yeah. But not not big enough for a prison colony. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. We were the place people went to after the prison colony. That's what happened with my, uh, that's how my family got to New Zealand. Um, really? So, yeah, somewhere way back, a great, great grandfather of some description on my mother's side, um, captained a ship full of convicts to Australia, uh, then sailed to New Zealand and stayed here. All right. That ought to do it. Mm. Um, well, it did. I, yeah. I've, I've, my, Family heritage is like question marked because one of my parents is adopted, and one of my parents is uh, they were immigrants from Italy. So they basically what happened was my I think it was my great grand was my great grandmother yeah it was my great grandmother was in a car driving back to her farm from the city in Abruzzo, and. A German plane was flying overhead, and then kaboom went the farm. Huh. So, yeah, they had the option of staying there, but if you think eight, nineteen, 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 eighteen, which is a sure. hundred years ago, it is today, now. Yes, yeah, um, they were like, we could stay in Italy, or we could go to America, and they kind of made the right choice because otherwise they would have just been caught up in not one but two great wars. Yeah, yeah, that wouldn't be cool. Yeah, no, no, it wouldn't. And then my family would have been my my grandfather, who was sixteen at the time, would have been conscripted. And so, interestingly enough, he wasn't conscripted here. In between either of the, he was. I think he was citizenry. Like he had to do stuff here because he was still getting his getting naturalized here. Not one hundred percent sure what that story was, but yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah. Anyway, how you been, mate? Yeah, good, good. No, it's it's uh, yeah. Like I say, it's summer down here, so the weather's fine and the living's easy. I think someone wrote a song about that once. Um, yeah, regular classes started 
this week in my dojo. And as is typical uh, before school returns, uh, we always have really low class numbers. So Monday night, um, we had four or five people and we worked on some, what did we work on? We did some bow stuff and we did a lot of sparring technique. And then Thursday night, I had one regular student and a guy, a new person dropped in about halfway through class. And we spent the whole class just doing bow, real basic bow technique. So that was that was my training week. Um, other than that, yeah, work had that tendency um, to just get in the way of everything this week. Uh, yeah. And that probably segues once you've had, you know, say your little bit perhaps, that segues nicely into what I believe our topic is, which is something about balance and uh, balance and training. learning and life. Yeah. Yeah. So um, well, I haven't had a particularly balanced life this week. Yeah. And I, I, I can, I can second that because of just moving worries and woes and mm. trying to get, because uh, I'm an adjunct professor at several different places and, mm one of these places decided to be like, yeah, you remember all that work you did? We're going to cut your class load in half. So huh. good luck paying rent. Um, yeah, that's so, what you need. Yeah, so it's kind of stressful, you know, not as stressful as some other Americans who work for our federal government, which as of today got reopened. So, yeah, we can make this podcast a little historical by saying today the government re- in the United States after 30 30- four days was closed has finally been reopened oh really um, huh, yes it just it just happened it huh. just happened right before we uh, right before the recording of this podcast um huh. the, the american government did re- reopen so i no longer fear flying yeah fair it, enough too yep. so um not that there was an over it's, it's kind of like the cold war when we worried about nuclear nuclear bombs now we're worried about planes falling out of the sky because people aren't doing their job. Yeah, yeah, people they're can't not getting be there. aid for them. Yeah, well, no, people can be there. For, they were first forced to work there. Yeah, yeah. And, and they were forced to work without pay, which by in, in this country is considered slavery. And yeah, yeah. although yeah. <laughs> although many people think that it was a gr- great thing, we kind of had a war about it. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, but in terms of training. I kind of I have determined that I am not a come home and train guy. I have determined I am a I need to go somewhere at this time of day guy if training is sure. going to happen in the morning. Totally, totally can wake up and get and get going in the afternoon probably as well. But once you're through an eight, nine, ten hour workday, I'm ready. I we both have been training martial arts for a decent long while. And if we aren't home and we're somewhere where training will happen, I think our, I think you'll agree with me. Our training instincts are just going to kind of kick in and be like, yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. But if you're home, you're home. Yeah. So, and I think that's, yeah. that's what was the killer for me. Cause a lot of the time I would, you know, in the morning try to get stuff done and then try to get training in, but there's always some excuse. And then you come home, and then it's just got to get the kid, got to get the dog, yep. got to get life something. Kick, life it. kicks in. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you know, that trans. This is our second segue to the topic today. Um, I think that goes into balance and working as a as a martial artist in general, which mm-hmm. in English sounds much much more pretentious than it does in other languages. Sure. Um, how we balance training with our life 
And I think it would be good to just talk about our experiences with that and kind of what we viewed with other people and kind of the extremes where it goes because it, it it's a spectrum. It's not just one way or the other. So yeah, we um, can officially say we're on the spectrum. Yeah. Yes. Yes, we are. There's a spectrum. <laughs> oh, hang on. I, I, spectrum. I, ta- yeah. I taught this. I taught this word to. I taught this word to my ESL people, and they're like, "You mean ghosts?" I'm like, "No, no, 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 no." Uh, I mean, on. things are on us are on a kind of a scale. I don't. I like, and they were like, "Of weight?" I'm like, "Kind of," but with other stuff. <laughs> so uh, I think it's awesome. One, yeah, one thing I think. I think this illustrates it quite well. Um, if we think about martial arts and we think about karate and think about the people who we consider people who are proficient or masters or whatever you want to call that, mm-hmm. when we kind of go turn back the clock of that century or two, most people who were doing that were of two ilks. A, they were paid to do it because they yes. were in some sort of military or police or whatever. Yes, or yes. E, they were independently wealthy and mm. could do that in their leisure. Sometimes mm-hmm. both, right? Um, and th- this spreads to all across all cultures, right? Rich people have guns. Rich people have the weapons. Rich people have the time to get good at that stuff. Yes, or if you're yes. paid to do that or if you're good at it. And that, that feeds into modernity. Um, more so with if you're a cop, if you're uh, arm, you're in a, you're serving in the army, if you're in a security services, anything like that, it is your job to be good at martial arts because mm-hmm. that's exactly what you're doing: defense, self-defense, guarding guarding things. It's your job to in day in and out and study and, and know this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, or if you're independently wealthy and have nothing else to do with your time, and if you're not if you're not off trying trying to kill endangered animals, um, hopefully you found the path of self improvement. Sure. But, but for the rest of us schmoes who work a nine to five, um, who think this, who's chosen this path path as well, it's not so easy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I agree. Um, for me, the some of the best uh, the best balance between work and training I ever had was actually running my own business. Um, so I could work from home uh, as an engineer designing and implementing solutions in, in industry. And I could be sitting in my computer, uh, sitting in front of my computer, um, working away at something and come to a point where you get that block and you can't solve the problem. And it was quite cool to be able to just go, eh, get up, grab something, go outside and swing a weapon around for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, do some carter in the sun, whatever it was. And invariably, somewhere in that process, they go, oh, yeah, that's how you fix that problem. Finish what I was doing, go back in, sit down, solve the problem, and the cycle can start again. Um, so for, yeah, that five-year period where I was able to do that, I I balanced my training with my business and family life really, really well. And running the dojo was actually part of the business. So... Yeah, it, it all just worked so smoothly. Um, now I'm back as a as a regular pleb, um, earning wage and salary. Uh, it's not quite like that. Um, there's things I'd like to do with the dojo that I can't schedule in around a regular work day. Uh, I'm expected to be in the office between um, 8 in the morning and 4 in the afternoon sort of thing. So, yeah, yeah it, just, it makes it that little bit harder. Um, 
the other time when things worked really well or well semi well uh, was when I wasn't running a public dojo. I was running private lessons from uh, from my home, and I would come home at um, four thirty in the afternoon. My first student would arrive at five thirty, um, and I would have three students a night, four nights a week um, for one hour classes. So that was kind of cool. Um, although after a couple of years, that did get it sort of got long in the tooth too. Um, when you're you're losing three hours a night every night, uh, and like you say, when when you're in another location training, when you when you leave home and you go to a venue to train, it's it's okay if your family's okay with it. You know, it's it's acceptable to to spend twelve hours a week in that other location. But for me, when I was spending twelve hours a week, literally six feet from my family, who were through a wall. Um, I found it difficult towards the end, and that made the the decision to open a public class again that much easier. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of temptation from people to say, "I don't want to do public classes." You know, private classes are fine, which might be a different discussion for a different time. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, either personally training or teaching in a class, it it takes something out of you. Mm-hmm. And especially when you're when you are on some sort of grind or you're doing multiple jobs and you're trying to keep, you know, the wife and kids happy or the husband and kids happy or the dog and or the dog happy, um, it 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 is difficult and to maintain a level from you know youth. Because I remember when I was in high school, I remember I got my black belt, mm-hmm. and I was like, I'm gonna train every day, and I did exactly that. <laughs> I went to the karate school. Every day I could. If it was open Sunday, I would have gone on Sunday. I yep. went every day I could. And um, no longer training with those people, but that really put in a lot of gray matter in my head, which was helpful later on. But then when it came down to not actually having a place, it became super hard. And I didn't realize this, but it was actually... <laughs> destroying my grades, keeping me from keeping me from focusing in school, yep. uh, having giving a, me a weird social slant. Yep. And so I think that's totally possible if to train every day if you have yes. the time. Yes. But you, this goes down to having some sort of self-discipline in order to know how to do that and what works best for you. And with the obligations of family and work and what else, what, what not, you have to know what works best. And I've, I've seen it time and time and time again, where some people, some people will, you know, go in hard for X number of years mm-hmm. up until a certain point and then just quit. Yep. And I think that that's, that's what kills a lot of people. With this. Yep. Yeah. And we both have come back from that. Uh-huh. And I yeah, think very true. that that's really If anyone's listening who if anyone's listening to this, who you can hear us. Um you know, it's people who are listening and if you have never experienced burnout, I never wish it on you. Yeah, it's not a lot of fun. No. No, it's not because it's it, you it's kind of slowly seeing the thing you love diminish. Yes. And, and, it, and it's it, it, the, the the physical and mental toll of it as well. Um, yeah. You know, for myself, uh, my burnout occurred uh, around about the same time as the global financial crisis, and 
Um, I'm still working through medical issues that I uh, encountered or whatever, however you want to put it, um, that I encountered from that thing 10 years ago. Um, the world stopped turning as it should have for me. And um, yeah, I wound up on some wild medication for a long time, gained a lot of weight. And from that have had a massive task trying to lose that weight and get back to a get back to the physical condition I used to be. And I'm I'm not the only person um in my uh would you call it journeys since then. Um mm. I've met probably six or eight other guys who went through exactly the same thing, used the same medication and have the same problems. Uh, despite the fact that scientifically, apparently, there's no side effects. Um, we won't go into that either. But, yeah, all these guys, same as me, um, went through a massive burnout phase, a massive mental trauma. The medication they were prescribed to help get through that caused uh, weight loss and other physical changes, which has changed their whole uh, training or physical capability, uh, and these other guys aren't martial artists. They they were in other sports, but they have the same. Wow. We're, we're all telling the same story. So again, yeah. it ties back to balance. You know, if maybe if things for me, if things have been a bit better balanced back in two thousand eight, two thousand nine, uh, I certainly wouldn't have have had the uh, experience that I went through. That's for sure. And I think it, some of it goes down to expectation, right? Because mm especially once we've passed that threshold of not just being a student, but becoming a teacher, um, running something, there's a self expectation to raise the level or stay at a certain stay in a certain place. And if life hits you hard, then that expectation goes higher and then possibly perceived expectation from others, not necessarily what they actually expect, but what we think they expect mm -hmm. goes up mm -hmm. and we don't talk about this enough with martial arts but there's a whole psychology that not just with self-defense but with training mm -hmm. that for whatever reason just do doesn't get addressed in a healthy way mm -hmm. um and i think when you when it comes to balancing it's okay to take this low road. Oh. It's better to take a slow road than to be stopped. I think, yeah, I think there's, there's more, to, more than just it's okay to take the slow road. Um, looking back, again, looking back on that last 10 years, uh, there are, and, and even beyond that, there are things I would, if I could do it again, changes and decisions I'd make and take things slower. Um, yeah, slower and not necessarily better thought out, but stop taking uh, so many steps every, trying to take so many big steps, just make it into smaller chunks, and things would have turned out possibly different. Um, yeah, uh, but it definitely would have changed me uh, physically. I would have a different outlook on things physically. Yeah, and so yeah, um... that's that whole yeah the balance. It's huge, man. The balance. Um, it's like you see it even in other professional sports. Guys burn out. They they go hard. Something goes wrong. Uh, the wheels fall off, and and next thing they're not the latest uh, latest sensation. And I know right. a number. Of, in fact, we had this discussion um, offline when we were talking about what topic 
that this podcast should be about? And I said, we said uh, balance. And I said, yeah, a lot of the high ranked martial artists I've met and not just one, but I can think of five off the top of my head, uh, guys that I've trained with who are striving to be at the absolute leading edge in their martial art world's best. Uh, yet they can't hold down a job. They can't hold together a family. Um, they haven't held together their marriage. Everything falls apart because they're focusing so hard on achieving that one goal um, of being uh, a martial arts, and I say this with air quotes, a martial arts master, right. um, that everything else falls apart. And, and to me, that's not right because my interpretation of a master particularly in, in a pursuit which screams so much about balance and, and living, a, you know, the, 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 what would you say, the, the stereotypical martial arts image is a perfectly balanced zen-like master. Right. Well, you can't be a perfectly balanced zen-like master when you had four divorces, um, you know, you've got 12 different kids to eight different people and, and you can't hold down a decent job. That, that's not a zen-like master. And I think looking forward to the future, what martial arts is really about. I was actually discussing this with a guy last night over a, a, um, a lovely cold beverage at the local pub. Um, we were Coke. saying looking – sorry? Coke, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, it was actually because I've stopped drinking this year. So I've oh, knocked right. the alcohols on the head. So, yeah, in my case it was. In his case it wasn't. But anyway, um, so we're right. sitting there talking about the future of martial arts. And in the old days, like you mentioned earlier, you know, it was your job as a martial arts master was to be um, a very highly skilled fighter, uh, very technically competent. It was, in some cases, in the older days, it was life and death. Um, that doesn't happen anymore. Very few people who walk into any dojo are going to be, or any martial arts school of any sort, are going to be world champion UFC fighters. Um, it's not even less than a percent. It's got to be less than 0.1 of a percent will ever achieve that. Most people who come in are simply looking for a feel-good exercise that challenges them. And it's yeah. on the same level as tennis or golf or rugby or baseball. It's the same thing. So what are we really giving people? We need to give people the tools to have a balanced, successful life. Uh, you need to be able to give them the mental fortitude, the goal setting, the discipline um, that goes with achieving the things you need to achieve to live and survive in today's world. And that's not uh, necessarily having incredibly conditioned hands and shins and being able to, to kill a bull with one single punch. That's not of no relevance at all today. The ability to keep calm, keep yourself in control, manage a quality career, um, generate uh, a good income, and build a protected, sustained lifestyle for your family is more important. And I think that's what martial arts is really about now. And we need to preserve the... We still preserve the old ways and the techniques and everyone does get to punch each other in the face a little bit because that's that's fun too. Yeah. But really what we're doing is we need to provide people with a balanced life, a life that at the end of it, they say, you know what, all this karate stuff I did for 60 years helped me build this really strong family. I've got this great, uh, I'm leaving a great legacy to my uh, grandchildren, to my descendants. 
um, and to the people I've interacted with throughout life. Yeah, and I think we've we've kind of heard people talk about that. Um, yeah, in our in our journey, and they haven't exactly lived it. But I think that's that is that should be what people think about when we think sure. about people who do karate. Yeah, um, and any other martial, any other traditional or, or uh, any other martial art otherwise. I mean, this goes for everyone, but especially for karate's case, you know, we do kata. We even though it there's no there's nothing in my research that points to meditation being a function of karate, but it's definitely has been incorporated in many different Absolutely. settings, and yes. it's there, um, yes. Lucian and stuff like that, and just being able to balance your life and being able to be honest and and true about that, you know, yeah. people being the ma- the master means being the gentleman being the person who can who can step up and be a leader in a community or be Absolutely. even a, community, a contributor in a community yeah. right we don't talk yeah. about that we don't we talk about the kicking and the punching and this guy is blah 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 like and there's plenty of that believe you me but at the end of the day it's it's it has the goal has to be exactly what you just said is leaving that legacy and i think that's where you get the schools out of because not because those people were the best or because those people were the greatest, but because those people built something that lasted. Absolutely. And those people were balanced. And you look at other, other schools and other people who have great technique, no balance. Everything's in shambles. The wheels fell off. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, And that's, that's far and wide. One of the examples I look at, uh, and I've said to a lot of people, I've gone, why did Shotokan do so well? Why has international Taekwondo done so well or world Taekwondo? All these other enormous organizations. Um, right. And the first thing that seems to be the common response these days is, oh, but they're all shit in the UFC. They don't survive in the octagon. No, they don't. But they've got a member base full of people who are extremely um, good examples of, of, as you say, leaders in community. Um, right. You know, no. No offense intended, but Conor McGregor is not someone I want my kids looking up to as a role model. Um, but then I'll take somebody like uh, Tony Robbins, and that's as cliche as you get. Tony Robbins is. yeah, has a black belt in Taekwondo. He's a right. multi, multi-millionaire um, success coach for some of the largest organizations on earth. Which one would I rather have my kids look up to and mimic? Hmm. That to me, yeah. that's a no-brainer. And that, I mean, for me as a Philadelphian, I always will point to the Rocky movies, despite you've never <laughs> seen any of them. Yeah, um, I'm a yeah. it is, but <laughs> yeah, it's all right. We'll fix it soon enough. Uh, um, I think it's like you know, you look at that movie, and it's like that guy is actually a leader in his community, despite the fact, like at the beginning, he's just some idiot with a ball, like running, running for the running uh, money for the mob, like. Right. Yeah, and he's but he's like literally trying to walk people home who are who might be in danger. He's just trying to help people out, but he also feels you know he's a boxer who's trying to be a, a decent guy in his community, but doesn't maybe doesn't have the brains necessarily and the know how to do it. Um, but I mean, you don't necessarily need to have had the largest dojo from a from a karate perspective. There's a mm-hmm. 
I forget his names precisely. Mm-hmm. He was one of Sokin's students. And I know he died about maybe 12 years ago or so. Mm. But he was not not well known. And he right. was not well well versed by, by many people. He had students. There's like one surviving website that talks about him. Mm-hmm. And and all he he was just a bento box guy running a bento right. shop, making bentos. Right. And he had neighbors who apparently never knew that he did martial arts. Huh. But he had a bunch of students, like very, very small, modest amount of students. But they all knew him and tried to make him known. And, right. But he's just a dude making bentos doing martial arts um it's the kind of the mr miyagi thing mm. but we'll talk about that that's it that's another discussion for another time okay I, oh. i'm gonna put a pin in that because i've got my thoughts on that whole thing right but to to give context to that you know like he was just a guy in okinawa trying to make a living uh-huh. many of them many of them did after the war but those guys who had the schools that continue to keep going even if they're big or small they managed to do so by being you know taking the moral lessons of balancing your life mm-hmm. of making sure you're taking care of your kids you're taking care of your wife you're taking care of your community yeah those who didn't how many how how far and wide is their legacy spreading yeah yeah, one thing's one thing's just popped to mind. Actually, it's um, it's something that a dojo. You and I both know the owners. They're out the way, uh, they're in your end of the world, out around Phoenix Way. And there was one thing that they do in their class every year about this time, which every year I remember about this, and I go, "Huh, I must do that." And then I never get around to it. And right. they um. Well, I never make it a priority to get it done. That's a better way to look at it. But what they do is they do a goal-setting class, and Hmm. they take the time in that training session, sit down with their students, pens and paper, and they set goals for that year. And the goals are not necessarily martial arts-related. So they might, you know, you might sit down and set a goal to save $1,000, and then they, um, I believe they check in on that, uh, and track the progress as the year progresses as, as part of their um, that's part of their dojo culture and to me that that's a great thing because you're you're going to use the same commitment and dedication uh, and create an anchor back to your martial arts training and at the end of the year when little Johnny saved a thousand dollars he sets a uh, there's a, a, um, a memory set there. There's a, a thing set in his mind, a trigger in his mind that if I want to achieve, then I do it the way I did it at karate. And and we set goals and we got things done and we tracked it along. And that, that'll create someone who stays in the martial arts for life. If that, yeah. you know, if things keep moving in that general direction, that person will stay in the martial arts for life. And even if they don't continue training for the rest of their life, they're always going to reflect back on there was that one time when I saved that thousand dollars and I did it at that karate school in Phoenix with that great, um, that great family, those, those two people. And that was really cool. And that kid could go on to be a billionaire. That thousand dollars that he saved could be the route that creates uh, the next Bill Gates. That's, that's insane, man. That's a response. Well, that's not uh, responsibility is the word. That's the opportunity we present 
to students as instructors. Right. And I mean, what we can do is just have them hit the back. And like, look, this is not us saying ignore training. No. <laughs> right. But that's saying add to make that part of that training. Add Absolutely. That, right. Yeah. Because you can. And you should. You and I, yeah, you and I, um, the organization that we came from, that we met through, has the saying karate no michi, which whether it's right or wrong grammatically or, or accurate. No, um, it's correct. It's correct. It's just, it is pretty good. No, no. Karate is my path. Yeah. How often it get it with Japanese, how often it really gets said in the class. Yeah, it's a different story. But I mean, yes. yeah, no, 100%. Yeah, so that whole um, that whole idea, that concept of taking the the discipline, the goal setting, the these individual components that we learn within a karate school, and applying it to every aspect of our lives, and helping other people to apply it to their lives, um, that is probably one of the most valuable things I learned from uh, what turned out to be 12 or 13 years in that organization straight up. Um, yeah. And I think what, I mean, also the lessons that take it, take, taken away from that is also, you know, the need to kind of lead more by example, not lead with words, you know, yes. and like to kind of just put things into motion and see where they go. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think that goes into another part of balance is where, you get a lot of people who will, you know, do the master claim or whatever, or, you know, I'm the, I'm the big guy and everyone's got to listen to me and all this other stuff. You know, every time I've run into somebody I really respect, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter if it's martial arts or otherwise, they demonstrate their knowledge or their leadership ability or their, their abilities or whatnot by just doing it unabashedly unashamedly but with it with a certain sense of you know grace and critique and kind of self-critique right and when i've seen that kind of fall apart because for whatever reason you know i need somebody needs to aggrandize their ego they have cut off learning for themselves they have cut off criticism they have cut off the ability to even self-reflect or something like that yes and if you cannot do that you cannot create change and which is that's what life's about. Karate, yes. karate is going to be about change. Karate will your karate will change from the time you start to the time you're done. Um, yes, it's, that should be what it is with every time you practice. Mm-hmm. But in, that's a, one of the biggest things I took away from seeing that. And I've seen this with many people. But when I, you know, this was back when I was learning. You know, I didn't learn how to swim until I was 27. Sure. And. I saw someone act completely, you know, like they were, they were the top guy. They're ahead of everything. Everyone else is wrong and everyone needs to listen to them. Mm-hmm. And when I saw a lot of other people just shake their head and kind of enable that behavior, I said to myself, not to, you know, I was a coward and didn't really speak my mind, but I just said, you know what? You need to be teachable. Mm-hmm. You'll learn more. You'll be yes. you'll be better. Yes. And like, sure enough, the next year, and I was I was terrible at swimming. If you talked to my swimming coach, she would have just been like, "Oh my god, this." And this was in Japan too, and it's like this guy doesn't know what he's doing. Um, but when I did swimming for a competition, um, 
was just island triathlon mm-hmm. out of everyone i knew who was doing it like i swam the fastest somehow well, i was able to do that huh. from just 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 keep and keep on working keep on listening keep your mouth shut and, and stay focused on the goal huh. you know if you want to want to add those other things in that's fine and of, that of like, like you, that sounds like the same recipe for getting good at martial arts right well exactly like and <laughs> and that's that and for anything but that that's what i see a lot of people will and i think this comes from more of a a need for it to kind of prove whatever as opposed to just doing the thing just mm-hmm. do just just do the nike thing whatever yeah, yeah. but when the what a big part of imbalance is ego mm-hmm. and when you just let that take that pedal off the ego break a little and just start doing it you get better at it mm-hmm. when when people kind of get that ego on top of it things stop getting better things stop changing things remain stagnant you're yep. not gonna, you're not going to do anything new you're not going to be be better at what you do yep. so ego's uh ego's a massive thing i mean i would say that'd be another podcast topic but to be honest it's too bloody negative for my my uh, preference but when you're teaching people uh, this is this is from my personal experience in learning to um spar or fight in any way ego has to leave you can't learn to fight in a in an environment where your partner um has a problem with losing if you want to learn to spar properly the person who's doing the attacking yeah, doing it in a drill sense. The person who's doing the attacking has to be 100% committed to losing that fight and letting their partner gain from that experience. If, yeah. if everyone's trying, if ego gets in the way and everyone's trying to win, you don't actually develop skill. Um, and you see that in the scrappy nature of some free sparring that happens in, in some classes. Um, you have to push that aside, build the skill base first, Get good, right. then compete. Then you can let you know. Then a bit of ego can get in the way when you're competing, and you've actually got the skill to do it right. But it's and it's the same in life. Um, in fact, it, it rings a bell. I, I'm uh, hiring a new engineer at the moment um, for my team where I work, and I've had an applicant come in, an external applicant has come in and said. Um, I'm an engineer. I've been working for two years since I left university. I'm just something like 23 years old. Um, and uh, I'm currently earning $85,000 a year, but I deserve to earn more. I deserve to earn 120000 a year. And I'm looking at this going, mate, you're 23. You've got two, three years experience. And you're telling me that you want to earn the kind of money it took me 20 years to get to? I don't think you've got that skill, um, and, and you've got a hell of a, a hell of a chip on your shoulder to stand up and say that in a job interview. That's as cocky as fuck, as far as I'm concerned. It just yeah. stuck out as a really bad. Uh, uh, the person won't get an interview, but I'm really tempted to give them an interview just to sit in a room to find out what is going on inside that head. That that just doesn't ring true, and I see this the same thing happen in the martial arts all the time. And again, it comes back to balance. Yeah, yeah, you want to be 23 years old with two years experience and earn the same amount as a senior engineer who's been at it for 15 or 20 years. That ain't balanced. Um, or and you get if, a, go on. 
or if you do actually think you're worth it, you don't you don't go out and say I'm worth this. You get it. Damn right. You actually, yeah, you yeah. prove it. If yeah, you can that's prove right. it, your, your actions you can... prove that you're worth that. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. yeah, like, and this and this goes back to our. I mean, this goes back to kind of where this podcast comes from. Like, we we think we think you know a lot of people ask me about the, the title, and they say, "Oh, you don't believe in belts." I'm like, "No," and the, but it's that the talent, whatever, is going to shine through of whatever you're doing. Yeah. Your ability, your potential is going to yes. shine through whatever yes. you're going to do. We actually happen to, to those who may wonder, we actually train in a cell. By the time you're a Udanche, you don't really wear a belt. So yeah. Yeah. that was actually... And, and I, the, I, the new organization I, I'm associating with, they don't even, um, uh, that I'm working with and learning from now, they only do one grading to get from colored belt to a black belt, he said in air quotes, um, once you pass that, there are no darn ranks. So yeah. you're just Udanche. You're a black belt, you know, so shut up and get on with it. And everyone's the same, and the only people who lead are the two guys who founded the organization. They're in charge of the general direction, and in my dojo, I lead, and that's about the size of it. I, I lead because I pay the bills, but that's where it stops. Um, and I think it's going to be a, an interesting um, interesting concept to try to bring to the public because the especially Western perception of martial arts is that once you get a black belt, you have to have so many Dan grades. Um, yeah. It's going to be an interesting thing to say, well, actually, no, we've decided we're not doing that because it's crap. Well, it's not crap. It, we, we don't feel it has a place. Um, and it's where we, I think it's sort of where we came from with this karate without belts idea was – Let's forget about who ranks who and who does what and who eats cheese and just screw it, man. Let's talk about martial arts and let's talk like about cheese. how to make make it better. Yeah, I like cheese too, but that's another podcast. Exactly. <laughs> uh, that, that's our that's our cheese without rappers podcast. I mean. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, it makes me um, wonder. Now you, you know you're talking. You're moving to Japan and now you've raised cheese. And the first thought that goes through my mind is, I wonder what Japanese cheese is like. Not bad, yeah. but I mean, there's, there, there's not there's not enough of it. Is like, that right? No. If you think about, if you think of it tangential, but if you think of it this way, European, 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 and by extension, by extension, New Zealand, Australia, and America um, yeah. inherited European style of eating, which is yes. lots of grains. Um, America is probably doing too much on cheese and sugar, but cheese and sugar. Uh-huh. Japan generally most most things don't really have cheese unless it has some sort of European influence. Huh. Even that, it's qu- it comes quite to the minimum. And yep. refined sugar, though, is there. It's not in the massive quantities that oh. you may find within European and other other stuff. I um, still remember my first trips to the States, and I just could not believe how much sugar is in food. Uh, compared with what we have in New Zealand. And, and I don't know what your experience was like, but when we had um, people come out to New Zealand from the States and we'd feed them what we consider normal food and they couldn't believe that it was so fresh and straight off the vine and straight out of the garden and no sugar added and even everything, even our bread and butter and stuff, and that they could not believe how natural it tasted. And to us, it's like, yeah, well, that's normal. Um, and when we come to America, everything tastes like a donut. 
So, yeah. Yeah, oh, well, that's there. There you go for balance, right there. Because that's balance as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Because when I came back to the states, because I think this is, you know, it's quite easy to see sugar has as much as much as an additive as you know methamphetamine. Yeah. The the problem with a lot of people is they can't put down the sh- they need to somehow get some sort of sugar fix. Yeah. And I found this when I went to Japan, when I was living there, like I was, I barreled through like two boxes of Oreos a week just to (laughs) kind of weirdly get that fix. But if you look at the kids, like the kid, when the kids get lunches there, it's, it is balanced. It is 100% balanced. Everyone eats the same thing. There is, and every, and more or less, no one brings lunch. Did you get over your Oreo fix over time? I mean, no, I, it, that was just kind of like, it was just more of a, this is something I recognize. Sure. Um, after, but once I kind of got past that, um, it wasn't in, until like the first month that I actually find, right. fo- like find my footing. But once I kind of got past that and started getting used to, okay, this is what's available to me, yeah. that kind of learned to adjust. And when I moved there, I was quite, I was still kind of, there was Maybe the first year out of college, I was there, mm-hmm. like out of out of schooling altogether, and that finding the balance of just, all right, this is how I cook for myself. All right, this is how I don't like go to the bar every night. This yeah. is because you know when you're a graduate student, humanities degree, you know you have to be an alcoholic. Right. So, um, that 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 was that was quite that taught me quite much that like, and when I came back to America, I would the the switch flipped back on because I remember going raiding a family pantry and just being like because of jet lag it was like holy christmas all the stuff i didn't have for so long right. and i just realized i was gonna ask that how you would how you found the transition back yeah not well and it's honestly it i would have rather just uh just try to, to try to shirk it but there, in america there's so few healthy options readily available Right. Though they are available, they're not readily available, sure. and they're not what's what's seen as appealing. You go into a, a convenience store, or a drugstore, or a, a, even a gas station, you're not going to have good food readily available. It's yeah. going to be chips I, and I do sense. recall that. Yeah, yeah, I do recall and that. Especially the places you visited. That, that, yeah, yeah. So, like, what's your um, you know, back on the balance thing and and goal yeah. setting and all that. What's your yeah. plan for um, preventing a recurrence of that when you relocate? Well, you my thing have is the same problem. I've got. I I think I have. I have a, a particular time window set. I'm not 100 percent yet, sure. but I have a time window set, and I'm just trying to. And I've been doing all right, but I'm trying to kick it into higher gear of getting a balanced training schedule, the balance mm-hmm. more on balance in terms of eating. And that way I put myself back in that balanced frame of mind. Because once you sure. have that, then everything kind of will – weight loss and all that other stuff isn't really something you need to think about. It's just something you do, right? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of my focus for the next week or so is just – I have found out I'm a, tra- I'm a morning training person. I knew this a little while ago and kind of <laughs> let that slide. Yeah. So I'm going to focus on this kind of next week is just wake up in the morning, get it done. 
Right. Once it's done, it's done. And then I can move on with the rest of my day. Right. But I'm not going to let any other thing, stuff get in the way because then it just gets in the way. Sure. Uh, See, I'm the opposite. Um, if I get up and I've got work or uh, family or issues, issues that will take my mind away from total focus when I'm training, I have to deal with that first. Uh, and my students notice this. They notice that the quality of my personal training will drop. I still teach well, but my yeah. own personal development will drop if I've got shit going on that needs to be dealt with. Um, and, and like, for example, the, the last 18 months where I work, we've been undergoing an enormous restructure. It's been huge. And particularly the last six or seven months of last year, um, things came to a head. It was getting real close to everything being finalized, and but we still didn't know who was doing what or what was sitting where. Um, and the stresses involved in that totally, they had a massive effect on me and um, it, it totally threw my own personal training off the rails. And my students noticed it um, and the colleagues at the venue that I teach from, they noticed it. They're like, hey, what are you doing? You're not, you know, we don't see you focused as much. Like, eh, works in the way, works in the way. Um, and maybe, yeah, maybe you can look at that and say, well, I didn't balance that particularly well, but that's the way I deal with things in life. If something's giving me, if it's causing me stress and giving me a hard time, I will focus 110% on that and kill it. Get it done, get it finished, square it away so that I can then focus on what I want to do and focus on my training. So I tend to find, you know, you, you talk about being a morning training person. I'm an end of the day training person after everything else has been squared away. Um, yeah, so yeah, so that was something we noticed from last year and something I worked out that was part of my journey was to actually finally, after I don't know how many years, identify that that's really a thing. Uh, now, whether I can manage it's a different thing altogether. That's probably part of this year's goal, to be honest. Yeah, definitely. I definitely yeah. kind of went out there for a minute because my, my wife had called. So, but, but I had, had your I had your headphone on one place, phone on another. There's yeah, balance, there's balance it, for it, you. It happens, and she's talking about cheese, and yeah, here we are. We're back at that again. Yeah. No, no, no. She wasn't talking about cheese yet. <laughs> Around this hey, time, actually, I, must, I must comment. Where's the dog this time? We haven't had a comment oh. from the dog. No, we haven't had. A, he's actually he's all right. Um, this 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 week I'm I'm keeping him occupied with eggshells. Excellent. Yeah. Some go figure. I wasted like a bag of tre treats last time. Didn't didn't did us no good. Eggshells, on the other hand. Really? Yeah. What's that about? Uh, the dogs playing with them, eating them. Yeah, he just oh. eats them. It's like he's just chilling. Huh. So yeah, we actually had to figure out today like what kind of rabies vaccine he has, and right. kind of. All this stuff. good lord, getting that dog relocated is going to be a mess. I was uh, going to ask that, or not necessarily in the podcast, whether uh, whether the dog was going to, and it sounds like he is. He's oh, getting... are you kidding me? My wife would divorce me if he wouldn't come with us. Like, <laughs> my daughter would never talk to me again. That's uh, actually really cool. Yeah. Yeah. No, he's he. It's we're just trying to figure out what's the best way to do it because it's a fourteen-hour flight. And yeah, so, yeah. It's got to be then, incredibly stressful because. He isn't sitting in even an economy class with you, or and no. he certainly ain't getting business class. It's got to be really hard on an animal when they travel like that. Um, yeah, yeah, so I, I would hate to be in that situation. We're we're just getting him used to like a the travel crate. He gets used to travel crate, 
Um, that way he we can kind of balance out his, his whole, you know, when he leaves, okay, it's, yeah. he's used to being in travel grade. Then yes. we're going to try to get like a hamster uh, water feeder for him while yes. he's there. And then, you know, he'll be hungry, but that's okay because then once he gets out, he'll eat. Then we're trying to determine whether or not I go one place and then meet my wife and daughter in another or we travel together. Sure. But we would have to do like a layover somewhere and I don't want the dog to be in there longer if it's going to be a layover. So, but you know, it's It's a lot of things to consider. Yeah. yeah, It gets you one way or the other, but Mm. you're not quite, not quite there yet. But Mm. if you, I definitely hope um, people are a little more elucidated on balance and, you know, what people take away from this is just, you know, keep in mind, if you want to be the best at martial arts, you can be. You want to be the best at karate, you can be. More power to you. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, what I would say to that is, you know, it's the 80-20 rule. I've met, well, yeah, we'll call it the 80-20 rule. I was about to get even more technical than that, but stuff it, this will do. It's the 80-20 rule. 80% of people are going to be reasonably good at martial arts and reasonably good at everything else they do if they keep their balance right. right. There will always be the 20% of people who might be exceptional martial artists, out-of-this-world martial artists, who, like I said, hey, there he is. I feel there better now. Um, yeah. Exceptional martial artists who can't hold down a job, can't maintain a relationship, and can't raise good kids. And those people at the end of it, when you get down to it, those people aren't going to leave much of a legacy. In fact, the ones that I particularly know of who've lived lives like that, yeah, they're they're not the the kind of legacy they're going to leave is probably negative. So if if I could get one message across to people, uh, the message the the one thing that's stuck out to me through my martial arts, man, be part of the eighty percent. Yeah, except that you you're not going to be number one. Take number two or number three place in the world or in your community or whatever it happens to be, take that second or third spot, but make sure you're number two or number three in absolutely everything you do. Um, And even then you'll still be, you'll still have achieved more than 99.99 whatever percent of the people on earth who don't try and don't strive to achieve anything. So yeah, be be balanced in your approach. You'll, you'll appreciate it. Your, your body, your, community your relationships everything will be better for it that's my five cents yeah man right on with that um is there any place somebody can contact you me yeah yeah me um yeah i can be found on facebook um if you look up i i I have a facebook page for my dojo it's called ruken khan dojo that's spelled r-y-u K-E-N-K-A-N Dojo, Ruken Khan Dojo. You can look up that page on Facebook and send me a message and I will respond. You can look up Marty Rickard on Facebook. You'll probably find a million different Marty Rickards, but I'm the one in New Zealand. Um, I will take messages. I don't friend everybody, but I will take messages from anyone. Uh, Yeah, that's the easiest way to find me is one of those two ways. And And I teach out of the Martial Arts Academy located in Tauranga, New Zealand. Uh, we also have a Facebook page, The Martial Arts Academy New Zealand, and uh, you can contact me through there as well and uh, any of the other martial arts that teach out of TMAA. I should cool. actually talk to them about sponsoring this somehow and make some noise. 
I think yeah. they'd be into that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't. I don't see why they you, you, they would just wouldn't. Yeah. Whatever. We'll talk well, about even, that a little even later. Just to come in for a chat because the the guys who started this place have some pretty out there ideas um, about how a martial arts community should run. Um, yeah. This, this is this is the guy I was chatting with last night. Um, I'll look into that because I think people could benefit from hearing what Scott has to say. Actually. Yeah. Definitely. Cool. And um, you can get if you want to get in touch with me or the podcast, you can just go just email karate without obi karate without obi at gmail dot com. There we go. That's simple. Yeah. Yeah. I try to keep it keep it that way. Okay. Well, we'll be catching you guys later. Anything else you yep. want to say before we sign off? Yeah, I'm gonna go and play with my swimming pool. Ha. <laughs> Well, that sounds like that sounds that sounds like a bit better than what I'm gonna do. Drive drive through, through ugh, lots of West Philly traffic for for a half an hour. <laughs> oh, you drive you drive safely, and I promise I'll swim safely. We'll talk oh, yeah. again later. Definitely. All right, All folks. Right. Have a good one. Thanks. Bye bye.